tell you this. This is what's amazing. Have you ever realized that each one of you are a character in a story? What? Do you feel like a superhero? Sometimes probably not. No. Do you feel like you're always the person who wins every time? No. Here's the deal. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about some of these stories. The reason the stories are in the Bible are so that you can say, hey, I feel like that sometimes. I think like that sometimes. And you know what? God has written a story, and you're part of it. Isn't that amazing? The story of Jesus coming was not just about Jesus and Peter and Paul and James and those guys. The story of Jesus coming is about you, too. It really is. Did you have a comment? Definitely in Jesus' story. And that's what I want you to walk away with today. Remember, God is writing a story, and you're in the story. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the fact that you do take story. It's very important. It's a huge part of the Bible. And you not only write it about other characters, but you write it about us. You care about the characters that people come up with, David and Noah and Jonah. You also even use the the people that were like princesses like Cinderella and everybody else to help us to understand about the relationship that we can have with you and the story that you have us in. Thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good job, guys. Okay, stand up, and then you get out of here. Go out that door right over there. Very good. Give these guys a big hand. They were awesome. Bye. We have a bus for you outside. No, I'm only kidding. No, these guys all go to Sunday school class right now. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. Thank you, parents, everybody who's involved in that process. Very good. Jim, go. 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 Are you... uh... You know, all of us have traditions in our family. I like to, uh, uh, over the years, Nancy and I have read stories to our children and our grandchildren. One of the things I do when I read the stories, I always read the, the uh, publishing information, copyright information, and the ISBN number to the kids. And I know you all do that too, right? What? You don't? You should. That's an important part of the story. Well, when you read the uh, introduction, the forward, the acknowledgments, uh, I love how books, especially academic books, those are the ones I kind of hang around, they always say very similar things. If there's a, I'm grateful to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And if there's any errors or any mistakes in here, they owe none of the fault I own at all. Well, a man who was a, went to Dallas Seminary, Haddon Robinson, wrote a book on preaching, which for a long time was a classic textbook on preaching. And in his foreword, it says something very different. I'm thankful to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And if there's any errors in this book, you can blame them because they shared in making me who I am. It's one of my favorite all-time forwards in a book, okay? It's not often you get to blame people for who you are. I have a good friend today, Dr. Carl Pagenkemper, sitting here. We've been friends for a long time. Uh, he's a Bible prof at the Grace University in Omaha, Nebraska, and he's one of my dialogue partners. We get together and talk about theology and all that sort of stuff. Uh, he's here with his wife, Joni, and uh, daughters, Aaron and Allison, just really good friends, one of my very good friends. We have engaging discussions about theology. So for the transition team members that are sitting out there and the elders, and those of you that just wish I was at another church, you can blame Carl. He's had a big hand in shaping who I am. 
It's fun to have him here. It's good to have a good friend. Before we get started, I actually have a couple of announcements. One is, let me remind you, invite you, encourage you to join me in reading the Bible this year. I read the Bible every year. I've done it for a long, long time. Out on the Welcome Center, if you haven't seen it, there's information on our websites. If you don't have a, if you want to look for an app for your phone or tablet, and there's also paper copies if you want to do it the kind of the old-fashioned way, not to make you feel bad, but but you are out of date. So, uh, <laughs> so there's information out at the Welcome Center. The second thing is um, the I've been working talking to the elders and the st- the staff. We've been working for quite a while on wrestling through where do we want to go as a church. And so we're going to enter a time over the next few months where we're going to ask the question, um, what ministry opportunities exist in Summit County that we should take advantage of, that we should leverage for the sake of the gospel? And we're going to invite some of you actually into that process that are members in a more formal way to actually discuss that. What's going on in the county that we should be doing, especially for the next three years? So three years from today, what should we be doing that we're not doing today? I said this in the first service, and after the service, I had a long line of people give me ideas, which is great. I'm glad. But we're going to go through a formal process where we do that. But as part of the process, the most important thing to me is that we get people engaged in praying. Because the moment we ask the question, God, where do you want us to be three years from today? You know what we're asking? We're asking, Lord, what is your will? What do you have for us? What do you want for us? So... Be thinking about that. Would you be willing to take, make, make it a six or I forget the exact time frame, six or eight month period of time and just pray for this whole process? Ruth Carroll is going to oversee it and coordinate that. So she will, if you would like to pray, uh, she'll probably coordinate some times you get together here at the church or uh, communication to you on how to pray. And out on the Welcome Center, there's a sign-up sheet if you would be willing to make that commitment. We'd love to have as much of the church as possible just praying as we ask this question and seek the Lord so we can be able to say, what do we want to be in three years? What is it we want to be doing that we're not doing? So be thinking about that. Along those same lines, the uh, elders and the staff for the fall, we worked our way through a book called The People of God's Mission. We wanted to make more sense out of our mission statement hanging up on the glass out there and to begin to get a broader perspective in the Bible of what this is all about. Why are we here? Why do we exist? And so we thought it would be fun. We just finished at Christmas. We thought it would be fun to invite you into the conversation because we are having ongoing, thriving discussions about this at uh, all levels. By the way, uh, elders, it's Tuesday night. If any of you would like to come and be part of that, we invite all of you. We love having people come to our elder meetings. So Tuesday night, 7 o'clock here at the church in the commons right across the way. But we've been asking the question, uh, what, is, what is the mission of God? And, and really, even more focused than that, what is our mission as a church? Dillon Community Church, where do we fit in? So we thought we'd invite you into the conversation. So we're starting a series today, the story we find ourselves in, or if you want to be grammatically correct, the story in which we find ourselves. And uh, you can look on the front page of the website. If you go to the website, it gives you all the topics we're going to be talking about and the dates so you get a feel for where we're going. And uh, what is the story? Where do we fit? How many of you remember when you were growing up, whether it's elementary school, middle school, high school, it doesn't matter where, um, you get together and you play some kind of street sports, soccer, baseball, basketball, and you pick two people to kind of be the captains, and they would pick the team. So you got a crowd of you there, and I'll, I'll pick you, and well, I'll pick you. And remember that? 
Remember doing that when you were growing up? How many of you were the last to be picked? Have I told you that I'm always the last? Let me see your hands. Who were the last to be picked? Yeah, wasn't that like a bummer? I mean, I'm an asthmatic. And, you know, when I grew up, you didn't, you didn't, when you went to PE classes, you sat on the side. We used to have PE classes, for those of you that are younger. And uh, we'd sit on the side as the asthmatics. We could never allow to participate. Now it's the opposite. If you have asthma, get out there and run as fast as you can. Exercise those lungs. But that's the way we did it when I was a kid. So it was always a bad day when I got asked, when, when they got to pick up teams, because I was always the last one, and I knew that I was going to be laughed at, mocked, and embarrassed. Really a bad thing. You didn't want that. How many of you were first to be picked? Oh, come on, hold your hands. Let me see. Let me see who the athletes are. No, not you, Rob. Oh, Rob, <laughs> you don't deserve to be first. <laughs> we would have never been friends in elementary school. <laughs> well, what is, it, what is it about that exercise that uh, it was important to us? We want it to be significant, right? We want it to belong to something. We wanted to, we want others to respect us and be important. And it was always embarrassing when we got to that moment because I knew I'd be the last one picked. But isn't that really what we're asking? How do we belong? How do we fit in? That sort of thing. We titled this, The Story We Find Ourselves In, because every one of you is significant. Every one of you belongs to a story. It's the story of the Bible. I know that's a grand statement. And today... We're going to do this overarching look at this story. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of drill down into different parts of the story. And we're going to ask the question, what story are we in? What is the story? When you look at the first century church, what made the followers of Jesus so passionate, so courageous, so unstoppable? It didn't matter what happened, did it? Beatings, no big deal. Prison, hey, we'll take it. Shipwrecks, bring it on. What, what made them have that level of audacity, fortitude, commitment? They went wherever they went, and there was no obstacle too great to stop them from telling the story of Jesus. Calling people to conversion in the first century world wasn't like it was today. It was very dangerous. You were required to say, Caesar is Lord. And the moment somebody came along and said, no, Jesus is Lord, you ran the risk of your life. It was not an easy endeavor like today. And these people were courageous. What happened? I think it's because they were Jews, the first group, and they finally got the story. They understood where they fit within this magnificent story. Because the story was given to the Jews first, and it finally clicked. Imagine what would happen if we woke up this morning and we all came to church, and Jesus was here. He actually came back. How would you feel? All of a sudden, things that are important no longer become important, right? Wouldn't that be like one of the most exciting things that could happen to us? We walk into church, and it's like, here you go. Have it. It's yours. That would be, and that's what happened to them. We said all through the Advent season, God did not forget us. He didn't forget us. He remembered. He came and rescued us. Right? That's the message of the gospel. He didn't forget us. He remembered. 
And so if that's what they, that's what they were living with. John talks about in 1 John, our, our eyes have seen him. We beheld him. Our hands touched him. We ate with him. We sat with him. We woke up one day and realized we were with the Messiah. We were with Jesus. No wonder they were so excited, especially when he rose from the dead. You cannot tell us that this is pretend. It is real. We touched him. If you don't believe it, take a hike. Right? They were unstoppable. They knew the story and they had felt the presence. They had felt Jesus with them. I'm convinced the more we know this story, the more courageous we will be. And not only that, but it'll begin to answer questions. What are we all about as a church? Where do we fit? Where do we fit in Summit County? What is our role going to be? How are we going to love these people well? What ministry should we be doing that we're not doing that can love people even better? We're going to be asking those questions. Well, let's start with this basic idea. It was God's plan all along from the beginning to redeem this creation. Even before it fell, he already knew. He already knew. Peter talks about before the foundation of the world, God had planned all this out. It was his plan from the very beginning that he was going to redeem this creation, not just us. He was going to go after the whole creation. When Paul, in Acts 13, if you want to follow along, it is going to kind of be an overview, so it'll be a little bit fast. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, you can. There's one in the pews, and I know you have tablets and smartphones, and pull them up. And they'd be good. So we're going we're gonna to look at some of these. <clears throat> For us, the story often starts with the Great Commission, doesn't it? Go into all the world, make disciples. In fact, I've seen that on the walls of churches. It's great. How could I ever criticize what Jesus says? It's wonderful. It's fantastic. But that's actually not the starting point. That's not where the people that weave their way through the New Testament story, they didn't start with the Great Commission. And the reason is the Great Commission is a statement that captures the entire Bible. They started much earlier in God's plan. They were looking much further back. When Paul, in Acts 13, I'm going to start there, went to Pisidian Antioch, as was his custom, he went first to the Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he told them their own story. It's amazing. He tells them their story that they should have known. He doesn't start with the Great Commission. So I'm going to read from Acts 13, starting in verse 32. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up who? Jesus. This is a good time to say Jesus. If in doubt, say Jesus. It's almost all he works in a church. Right? We tell you the good news. What God promised, by the way, this is the gospel. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay, as God has said. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. He begins by talking from the Hebrew Scriptures, what we think of as the Old Testament. That's where he starts from, the Hebrew Scriptures. That's all they had. They didn't have what we call the New Testament, the Greek Scriptures. 
They hadn't been written yet. They're writing them. So when they saw Jesus, it's not like they went back into the Old Testament and said, I wonder if we find Jesus in the Old Testament. That's not how they thought at all. When they saw Jesus, they said, this is all that the Old Testament talked about. This was everything the prophets prophesied about. He is the one. All of the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Christ. And then they began to write what we call the New Testament to explain the Old Testament in terms that make sense with Jesus. So their only scriptures were the Old Testament. So they go back in. So in this one quote, for instance, Paul, he quotes Psalm 2, Psalm 16, and Isaiah 55 as an example. But then the Jews, being like they were all throughout the book of Acts, they rejected that. And so uh, Paul begins to respond to them. Um, Look with me in verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. He doesn't quote the Great Commission. The Great Commission is a summary of the entire story of the Bible. In fact, to be honest with you, I'm not even sure he knew of the Great Commission at this point. Gospels hadn't been written. This is before the Gospels were written. So he may not have even known. He saw the Great Commission found in the Scriptures. So he quotes Isaiah 49. Look what he says. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's a quote from Isaiah 49. All through the Advent season, we talked about the people living in darkness have seen light. Jesus has come. God did not forget us. He remembered us. It was his plan from the very beginning to redeem this creation. And that starts with us right here. Almost everyone sitting here are Gentiles. This is us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who didn't forget us? Does that encourage you? He didn't forget. He remembered. Well, if you go two chapters later to chapter 15, we have a problem. The first church council, if you will. They went out and started sharing the gospel with all these Gentiles and created no end of confusion in the church. Right? What on earth does this mean? All these Gentiles are now flocking through the doors, turning to Jesus. Do they have to be circumcised? That was part of the law. Do they have to keep the dietary parts? Do we have to obey the law? How in the world can you figure that out? Remember, there was no New Testament written to explain that. It's a very confusing time in the church. So Paul and Barnabas are out there doing their thing, and people are coming to know the Lord, and uh, James was probably written during this time, and James is working to restore order within, I think, the Christian part of the church. He's giving them advice on how to live life and under this new era with Christ, and Paul, I think, wrote Galatians during this time when he's talking about salvation by faith alone. And, and people from Jerusalem came to correct Paul's teaching because he forgot to mention the circumcision. And, and you got to be circumcised. It's okay to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised. And it's just a real confusing time of the church. So they all said, time out. Let's all come get together and let's talk about it. So in Acts 15, we have what we call the Jerusalem Council. This is where they met to solve this problem. What do we do about these Gentile converts? Because we're not sure how to do it. Now, you would think that they would um, turn to the Great Commission, go into all the world, right? Make disciples. But they didn't. 
Look at what they say. Let's start in verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And what does he say? He quotes Amos. After this, I will return and rebuild David's, rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. This is restoring the true kingdom which David foreshadowed. The true kingdom of Christ, of Jesus. That the rest of humanity, that's us. Why am I doing this? So that the rest of humanity, that's us folks, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. This is an old story. This gives us just a hint, a whisper of what our mission is. Why do we do things? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we worship every Sunday? Why do we live out this covenant with God? Why do we encourage one another daily? Why do we do these things so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord? Because they will see something in us that they can't find anywhere else. Anywhere else. Even Jesus, in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, remember the wonderful story? After the resurrection, he's walking with the two disciples. He opens up the prophets, the law, and he explains about himself. They don't know who he is, using the Old Testament. Which, by the way, is a wonderful thing to do. Explain Christ and never open the New Testament. Who is Christ? Who is Jesus from the Old Testament? What I'm trying to tell you is that the story of the Hebrew Scriptures is our story. It is our story. And Jesus located himself right smack in the middle of that story. And that's where we belong. It is our story. We belong in the middle of it. We have a role to play. Every one of you got picked first. Choose me, choose me. Every one of you got chosen. What would the rest of the world do if they understood that there was a story for them? Sometimes the language we use creates controversy. I do believe you have to believe in Christ. I believe it's based on what Christ did on the cross. Do I always start there in my gospel presentation with people? No, I don't. Sometimes I start with a story. How do you explain the world, world history? How do you explain that? What would the rest of the world do if they knew that there was a story for them and they could be included? You ever look at your neighbor when you're talking to them? A friend that you have over, a business client, a consultant? Um, you ever look at them and say, boy, I just long to have them in the story that I'm in. I want them to belong to the story that I belong to and know that story. That's what we're talking about. So let's take a look at this story. We're just going to fly through this. Genesis 1 and 2 starts with creation. Revelation 21 and 22 ends with a new creation. So we start at creation. We go all the way to new creation, don't we? The creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 answers two fundamental questions. Number one is where are we? Next week we're going to take a look at creation and care of creation and what role do we have in that whole process of creation and the care of this creation? God placed us here for a reason. Where are we? This entire universe is 
far as we can see and beyond. And who's the climax of the creation account? You. You're the high point. You're the only part of creation that was made in the image of God. This is made for us. So that God can display his wonderful glory in ways we could never even conceive. I think it's a mistake to look at Genesis 1 and 2 and try to answer scientific questions. None of the ancients were asking that question. We'll take a deeper look at that next week. They're asking a more foundational question. Who is this God? Because Genesis 1 was given to them just two or three months out of Egypt at Mount Sinai. And all they knew were the Egyptian stories of creation. And all of a sudden, this God said, let me tell you the truth about creation. I made you because you're the most important thing. And all this creation is here to teach you about me. That's how important you are. They had never heard that before. It's pretty wonderful news. We'll come back to that. The second question the, the creation account answers is, what does it mean to be human? Are we gods? That was the standard interpretation. Are we gods? And God made it very clear, no, you are not. I am God, and you are humans. We'll look at that a little bit more and later as well. By the way, I'm really glad that God's God and I'm not. Because it's really wonderful to say, God, this mess is yours. Deal with it. <laughs> I like God being God. I like that. So the creation account answers, and how we answer these questions impacts our view of what God is doing in the world. If, in fact, we as humans maintain this profound dignity, this sense of significance, importance, and purpose, guess what? I believe we're the only worldview that holds that. We don't have to go through reincarnation. We don't have to empty ourselves. We don't have to go through a mystical period of enlightenment. We're simply made in God's image. What that means is you are wonderful. God made you just like you are, and that's a great thing. Isn't that a great message? That message alone is gospel message, isn't it? Isn't it good news? I had a friend tell me once, the thing I don't like about Christianity is you don't believe in reincarnation. I said, what do you mean you don't believe? I believe in reincarnation. And he goes, What? said, I just believe in one. And the process of that reincarnation, I just move into a better body than I have today. Praise God for that. I'm looking forward to a newer body. One that's not getting older. One that's not decaying. Several of you have asked, yes, I, I am having issues with my esophagus, and I go in for two days of testing tomorrow and Tuesday at Swedish Hospital down, hospital down in Denver. So if the Lord reminds you, just pray. I don't think it's anything significant. They're just... I was born without a sphincter valve, and they're trying to figure out how to get it fixed, and they've tried it several times. So just pray. I look forward to the fact that I don't, the day when I don't have to have surgeries again. So our reincarnation is all about glory. It's not about becoming something different. It's about becoming something better. Isn't that a great story? Isn't that gospel? And he said, I never thought about that. I said, why would I want to believe in what you believe? And you go through 30 million reincarnations, and at the end, you have no idea who you are. You become part of this light source, and you've lost your identity. I like me. <laughs> Jim, I like you, the way you are. <laughs> you know, I like what Christ is doing with you. Rob, Darla, I like what God's doing with you. It's a wonderful thing. You're not becoming, Ben, you're not becoming something different. You're not going to lose your identity. You get to be you. 
Because God made you the way you are, and that's a good thing. Well, then we have this, starting in Genesis 3, the fall. There's no way we can overstate how disastrous it was. Evil and sin works its way into every aspect of God's creation, every dimension of human personhood and life. Everything we know is, is brought down, destroyed, broken because of this. Physically, we're now subject to decay. Intellectually, we now use rationality to normalize our behavior, to normalize our sinfulness and brokenness. Socially, every relationship we engage in is fractured. I keep telling Nancy of this. She went to counseling and got her life perfect. Our marriage would be better. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right about that? If she was perfect, our life would be better. <laughs> Spiritually, we're alienated from God, aren't we? We are a broken creation. And if we downplay that, then we miss the significance of what Christ has done. We need to fully grasp the hugeness of the problem because it is massive. It permeates every aspect of our being, this brokenness. And it doesn't matter how hard we try, we will never quite get there. We need a solution far bigger than our governments. And by the way, I'm glad to be part of a government that's trying to solve a health care. I don't know if this Obamacare is going to work or not. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to even have an intelligent opinion on it. But I am thankful that there are people asking the question, how do we help people? That's what government should do. They should protect us. They should help the marginalized, the poor, the needy. They should do that. I love being a part of a country that has the American Disabilities Act. I go to other countries that don't have it. I love that. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But they never quite get there. No other religion has answers to solve this problem. If God's mission is to solve the problem of a broken creation, then can our mission be any less significant? Because we're part of it. Well, then, you know, the basic story of redemption, Jesus, just always remember Jesus, right? God chose not to abandon this failure. Nancy's a potter. As I understand it, she makes something, and she had, she had me make a pot one time just to get a feel for it. I made a pot, and I thought it was pretty beautiful. It, it serves as a doorstop. <laughs> when she makes a pot, if it doesn't work right, she just destroys it and starts over again. God chose not to do that. He chose to redeem it instead, which is the gospel message, the good news that God has not forgotten us. He loves us deeply and he cares about us. The story begins with Abraham in Genesis 12. And starting in Genesis 12, all the way through the end of the Bible, all the people and the events, until Christ comes back and everything is restored, tell this story. And that includes us. David was part of the story. Jonah's part of the story. Gideon's part of the story. Paul's part of the story. Guess what, James? You're part of the story. You're part of the story. Garrett, you're part of the story. We're all part of the story. Dillon Community Church finds our, our identity in the middle of this story. This story is the greatest story ever told about God's redeeming, saving act. He rescued us. It's a grand rescue operation. That's what the gospel is all about. The story of Revelation. I'm going to go to the end of the Bible if you want to follow along. Look with me in Revelation chapter 15. Pick anywhere in the Bible and turn right. Go to the end, you'll get there. Revelation chapter 15 is a reflection of God's saving act. 
we see the victorious singing in Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. Uh, just before that, they held up harps given them by God and they sang the song of God's servant Moses. Moses. What was promised to Moses? End of the Lamb. And look what they say. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. There's that whisper again. Why do we, why do we reveal God to a broken world? So that they, they will come. All nations will come and worship you because your righteous acts have been revealed. This is a quote. He strings together all these quotes. John does, Psalm 86, Psalm 98, Psalm 111, Deuteronomy 32, Jeremiah 10. The Old Testament story is our story. It is our story. This is why it's called the Song of Moses. The call to Abram was very simple. He wanted to put in motion his plan to deal with sin and heal the dividedness, the fracture of the nations. By the way, at the end of the book, when we're in the New Jerusalem, he points out there's the tree that will bring healing to the nations. That's a discussion for another day, but apparently we have work to do even in eternity. Bring healing to the nations. This is a God who cares. He loves us. He didn't destroy us. And what does he say to Abraham? He actually, I believe this is the first great commission of the Bible. Jesus said it a different way later on, but God started it with Abraham. Go, be a blessing, and all the nations will be blessed through you. Doesn't that kind of sound like the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Go, be a blessing, and all the nations will be blessed, Genesis 12. And what did Abraham do? He bolted, and he took off, and he started proclaiming the name of the Lord everywhere he went. He built altars everywhere and started telling people about Jesus. About God. No one has seen God at any time. But Jesus, the only begotten one, he has revealed him. John chapter 1. Okay, I wanna, I'm going to go to Exodus 6. So if you want to take a spin through Exodus 6 real quick. This is just the beginning. They've not gone through the Exodus yet. And God is kind of explaining some things to Moses about who he is. That he wants him to teach Israel. And I think we have this idea of the story of God all captured in one place. Exodus chapter 6. This is the primary model in the Old Testament of God acting as a redeemer, and it gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to be a redeemer. Starting in verse um, 5. Verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites. We have a God who hears. They're, in, they're under the bondage of sin, and they cry out to the one true living God. And what does he say to Moses? I have heard them. Whether you, whether you feel God has responded to you, you can have confidence that he hears you. I have heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. By the way, these verbs are all later on used in, of Christ. We see them reappeared in the New Testament. And I have remembered my covenant. Are you getting the idea? God did not forget us, did he? He remembered his covenant that he made. He didn't forget us. I remember my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am Yahweh. I am the only God, the one true living God. Every other God is pretend. 
And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them. That's what Jesus did on the cross, isn't it? He brought us out from the bondage of slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. He redeemed us, didn't he? Isn't that what communion is all about? We're going to celebrate in just a few minutes. Redemption. He redeemed us. I will take you as my own people. No God in the history of the world ever said, I love you enough that I will make you my people. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. This is the heart of biblical theology right here. This is a God who is alive. This is a God who loves us. This is a God who did not forget us. This is a God who did not destroy creation and start over again. This is God, God that says, I will make all things right. I will not forget you. I will come rescue you, save you. Peter, in 1 Peter 2, this is his version of it. But you are a chosen people. How do you feel about that? Choose me, choose me. I want to be on the team. I don't want to be the last person picked. You are a chosen people. God chose you. You are a royal priesthood. You're a priesthood on behalf of whom? Priests are never priests on behalf of themselves, are they? They're always a priest on behalf of someone else. So who are we a priest on behalf of? What do you think? Next time you look at your neighbor, think about this. I was chosen to be part of this story to be a priest on behalf of this person. I want them to be part of this story. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter 2.9. That's Exodus imagery. He brought us out of the darkness of slavery and saved us and delivered us. Made us part of his story so that we can bring others into the story. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's the basic story. That's the cross. That's the story we find ourselves in. Over the next few years, we're going to dig down and look at different parts of it. But church, this is where we belong, right smack in the story. It doesn't stop with me. I don't come to know Christ and I close the doors and, I don't, and I'm done. No, no, no. I'm chosen to be part of the team. We as a church are chosen. So we're going to begin asking the question, what do we as a church do? Three years from today, what do we want to be doing that we're not doing today for the sake of the gospel relating to these people who so desperately need love and we have the capacity to do it? How do we make that happen? This is our hope. Let me give you one more picture. We'll close with this. In the new creation, at the end of the story in Revelation 21, so go all the way back to the very end, we see something. Um, God will redeem his entire creation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. Does that excite you? Does it excite you? The moment Jesus said, I am God in your midst, the temple system was no longer needed. No wonder they killed him. 
did away with an entire system in one statement. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the story we find ourselves in. This is what we do in Summit County. We help people to see the truth. The day is coming when the tears will be gone. Verse 5. He who was seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. I know I went longer. I did the first service too. This is the God that we serve. That's why we called it. We worship the God. I'm going to invite the ushers to come on up. This is the one true God who we serve. Do you see why we worship the one true living God? If he did all these things because he loved us, how could we not do anything less than worship him and serve him? As you prepare to give your offering today, I know that God has already put on your hearts. You've already resolved what you want to do. But let me suggest that when this comes by and you put, put it in whatever God leads you to put in, just pause and say, thank you, God. This is a gift to you for making me part of the story. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for creating, for not forgetting us, for, for doing everything necessary to come rescue us. Thank you, Lord, for the people that are here, for putting on their hearts how much to give. Thanks for blessing us as a church and taking good care of us and not letting us be needy. Thanks for giving us a purpose and a mission. Lord, we uh, covenant with you. We promise to use these monies well to bring glory to your name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, I'm going to invite the communion servers and those that want to pray with people to come on up. So come on forward.
communion is something we do every week here. And uh, is, there, is there a greater expression of our thankfulness? In fact, that's what the word Eucharist means, is being thankful. Is there a greater expression of our thankfulness and to together proclaim the death of the Lord, all that God has done, the grand story? That's what communion is all about, right? And we will celebrate together. As a church, we're going to invite you to come forward for those of you that are visitors. And we don't really have a, a, a format that you can come forward and you'll receive it. You can take it up here. You can kneel down and pray. You can go back to your seats and reflect. That's up to you, however you would like to do it. We try to honor all the traditions that are represented here. But you know the story. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the, the loaf of the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. When you come forward, somebody will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. After supper, he took the uh, cup and he said, this represents the new covenant in my blood. What a great thing that God has did away with the old covenant and gave us a new one where we can live life to the fullest. Do this in remembrance of me. So when you come forward, somebody will say, this is the uh, blood of Christ shed for you. If you would like to pray, we have people up here to pray. A couple here, maybe some down there. I'm over here. We'd love to pray. Um, perhaps you've had another God in your life and uh, you you have thought this through and want to serve Jesus. Perhaps you don't even know who Jesus is and you want to talk about it. Maybe you have a need that you want to share with us. We'd love to pray for you. You have a praise. We love thanking God. We can't thank Him enough. We can't talk about Jesus enough in this church. All right? Don't be ashamed of Jesus. It's okay. So let's pray and I'll invite you forward. Father, thanks for sending your Son. Christ, thanks for coming and dying for us. Thanks for giving us a way to remember you together as a church. And we pray this in your name because we do believe in you. Amen. Come and receive communion.